welcome to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast, where building a thriving real estate investing business has less to do with subway tile and shiplap and everything to do with whether you've laid a solid foundation to support the life of your dreams. I'm your real estate lawyer turned legal educator host, Bonnie Galam. In my years building a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio, the most important lesson I've learned is that being a successful real estate investor isn't about secret strategies or ninja tactics. It's about doing the basic stuff right and staying laser focused. If you're an ambitious real estate investor or one in the making who's looking to build a real estate portfolio that's secure, streamlined, and creates a life you love, you're in the right place. Each week here on the show, you'll get clear, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you build your real estate business and some tough love along the way to make sure you're not building a house of cards. Let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie Gallum, and if you caught last week's first uh, in a bonus series walking through my new commercial real estate purchase, then you'll know that this week's episode is about the six hidden asset protection risks that no one is really talking about. I feel like when we as investors talk about asset protection, we're worried about these catastrophic losses like the massive slip and fall or something like that. And in this episode, I'm really excited to be debunking that because I don't see anyone really talking about asset protection this way. It's why I created my program, Landlord Law School, to teach you how to implement asset protection in my way. And most importantly, to just ultimately protect yourselves. I I, I am not predominantly a litigator. I don't benefit when my clients screw things up. My firm motto is be proactive, not reactive. And I've turned that into landlord law school because I was tired of seeing investors screw things up before they came to me. And these areas were the biggest areas, which have huge, huge consequential consequential losses. And the good thing is that so many of them are really preventable or we can kind of tighten the gap and loosen those drips so that you can ultimately increase your bottom line. So that is what we're going to be diving into today. But I wanted to let you know that this episode is being brought to you by my program, Landlord Law School. And right now I'm giving away the entire module one of it for free. And you may be thinking, okay, Bonnie, what is in it for you or what is in it for me? And so let me tell you this. It is not one of those like fluffy uh, stories about my journey, like those module ones or like webinars where people it's like mostly about their story or a hard upsell. That's not my style. I believe in radical giving. My goal through, you know, all of my businesses are to help real estate investors to help protect them. And so it is a really value packed um module. And of course, the hope at the end is that you will want more of it. I'll say I'll become a a drug dealer. I'll give you a taste in the hopes that you want more. My goal is fundamentally, I don't want to see you screw things up. And so so if you go through module one and you come through it saying, you know what, I moved the needle a little bit of where my understanding is on asset protection and what things I need to be thinking about or doing, then great. But if you go through and you say, you know what, I'm ready to dive into this. I'm ready to take legal uh, by the horns and, you know, finally get this stuff underneath my belt, then the doors to landlord law school are open to you. And you can check that out over at bonniegallum.com slash sneak peek. So head on over there if that's of interest to you. But without further ado, let's dive into the meat of this week's episode. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the six hidden asset protection risks that no one's really talking about. And so I feel like if you dive deep into Facebook groups or even like the bigger pockets forums, when people are worried about asset protection, they're worried about like losing it all. And they're, you know, worried about the catastrophic 
uh, slip and fall of a tenant or a contractor getting hurt. And they need to have all these crazy LLCs and all these crazy land trusts and all this complicated, really expensive legal structures that can cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to put in place to try to mitigate the loss in the event of, you know, a multi-million dollar lawsuit. But that is really easy for a bunch of lawyers to sell you, and especially when they sell you like the really expensive ones where you have to work with an attorney who's out in like Utah or Nevada or Wyoming. But the reality is, is that most of your losses are more of a drip, drip, drip. And that comes in from increasing your bottom line. And so a lot of those drip, drip, drips can over time really be way, way more than the, you know, once in a lifetime bad luck of a catastrophic injury. But let's just talk about that catastrophic injury because we, we're not looking to have everything wiped away. And so that's where a lot of times defensive asset protection strategies, which I teach you more about in Landlord Law School in that module one, but defensive asset protection strategies help mitigate losses after they've already occurred. So things like LLCs, things like insurance, none of those things stop someone from suing you. You think someone gets really freaking hurt on your property, their attorney is just gonna be like, well, guys, can't seem, it looks like there's an LLC. Let's just give up. You're wrong. You are wrong. You better believe that if there's something catastrophic, they know what lies behind these LLCs and that there's always at least a big insurance payout. And so I just, I don't buy it. I'll be frank. I don't buy these crazy asset protection structures that other attorneys put out there. But what I do believe is in getting proactive. I want you to be proactive, not reactive. I want you to be stopping these lawsuits from ever happening rather than paying tens of thousands of dollars to create these, you know, complex structures to prevent the, you know, one in a million. And so what am I talking about here? The first one that I want to talk about is property damage. Tenants, screw your stuff up. I mean, for better or for worse, even the best tenants, I mean, there's going to be wear and tear. But let's talk about the bad guys. What are we doing in our businesses to mitigate the expense of having tenants who wreck our places? And so that goes into two things. One, your systems and processes around your application to make sure you are vetting your tenants appropriately. You're getting references. And I realize that, you know, an A market is going to have a different type of tenant than a C or D market, but that doesn't mean that those people are bad people. It just goes into, you know, the neighborhood and you can still do their vetting as to how are they going to treat your property. But on a similar note, it's critical that you start building out your file. And that means documenting the status of your apartment or house at the beginning of the lease term and at the end of the lease term. That can be through photographs, checklists, all sorts of things that are not only in your possession, but also acknowledged by the tenant. So that way, if there is damage, there cannot be you know, that dispute of, oh, well, that's how the, the landlord gave it to me. Or I didn't do that. Or that was like that when I moved in. And we've all heard those excuses from our tenants and you don't want to have that excuse presented to a judge because unless you have the proof to back yourself up, you have a he said, she said. And as a lawyer, you never want to be in that position because then it comes down to a credibility determination. And even if you are right, the judge is a person. I mean, they're not mind readers. And so you just don't know where they're going to shake it out. If they can't figure it out, you're not going to win. And so that's the first one. We want to mitigate against property damage because I just think about the price of one security deposit, you know, like that can be thousands of dollars. And so 
We want to make sure that we have the systems and structures in place to withhold that if we need to, and to be able to pursue more damages in the unfortunate circumstances where sometimes that arises. Okay, so first, property damage. Next, similar related to that because it deals with tenants, is vacancies. Vacancies are expensive. Expensive, but they're also a lot of times completely preventable. Now, we all have, you know, the fluke situations where tenants get up and leave, or um, we just have that trickier place that's harder to rent. But I also think that's a limiting belief. I have a unit that's in Philadelphia, and it's a three bedroom, it's near a college, and it's the, one of our toughest units to rent. And I'll tell you why is because I, I see, apparently college kids don't have three friends that they can you know, consistently live with. They want to put two in a bedroom. They got four people in there. And that seems to be, you know, the setup that they like. The three bedrooms just seem to be trickier. And so, you know, we've evaluated, you know, renting that place by the bedroom to grad students or to um, like residents who are more on like a short time flexible basis. And that's got it going. But we've also, you know, invested in getting better pictures of that taken, maybe doing virtual staging, uh, getting the marketing out earlier and putting in our lease that we can begin showing and we need further out notice than the other properties that we have because most of our properties, you know, a 30 or 60 day turnaround is more than enough time. But for some of them, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate the language of the lease and say, you know what, I need four months notice on this lease or else I'm going to be ending up with a vacancy because I just know this ends up being more expensive. And that's why I have sometimes a problem with like the bigger pockets calculators as well, because they, you know, they'll estimate say 10% on vacancy over time. And that may be true over the long term average, but reality is, is that's just an average. It's a best guess, but you as the business owner, you can make these projections yourself over time as you grow in volume, as you, and you grow in, you know, tendencies as you rent the place, you know, one time, two times, three times, four times, you can get a feel for how easy or difficult any particular unit may be to turn over. And so that's the second one, vacancies, because that is an asset protection risk because it is a risk of losing money. Next are evictions, and that's related, of course, to vacancies, but they're, they're a different animal, and they're a different animal because a lot of times you've got a court system that you've got to deal with, which means money and time, and so they're expensive, and that's why I teach in landlord law school, and I give you the templates on doing things like cash for keys and mutual lease terminations and um, forgiving their debt so they can just leave. All these things to have in your wheelhouse to try to avoid doing evictions. Because when, and I practice in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which are two fairly landlord um, unfriendly states, they're very pro tenant in terms of their court systems, which isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's understanding the market that our business is operating in. And so it's become critical for us. And I think for many other investors, especially now, as you know, I'm recording this, it's the end of October of 2020, and we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and there's eviction moratorium still in place in many states on top of the federal moratorium, which is in place until the end of the year. And so it's tricky. And that doesn't mean you can't get people out and you can't do it ethically and legally, but you have to have the documentation in place to be able to roll with that. And so evictions 
even in non-pandemic times, can be extremely expensive. And I mean, putting aside, you know, can you, you know, screen away having to do evictions? I think you can to an extent, but sometimes I'll just say it, shit goes south. And you can't always predict it, you know, great tenants become not great tenants and it doesn't make anyone bad people, but you just, you got to get them out. And so what can we do to prevent that extra expense and delay of time when it comes to evictions? Next, contractor disputes. So Contractor disputes are one of those things that I think we all think are never going to happen to us until it happens. And I, for me, I think it, you know, it happened very early on and they can become really expensive. I mean, first off, just the delay in projects when you have holding costs and vacancies, they can really add up. I mean, I'm not talking vacancy just because you, you know, have turnover between tenants. I'm talking vacancy because say you're doing the Burr method and you've got to get this place ready to rent and refi and repeat and the whole thing. But that delay is expensive. And when you start thinking about each month of lost rent, that is thousands of dollars. And again, protecting that bottom line, decreasing that drip, that is asset protection. And that is stuff we can put into our control. And so how do we prevent contractor disputes? I mean, the best way, and I mean, I feel like I should have this stamped onto my forehead is to say, you know, keep calm and get it in writing, get it in writing. And if your contractor doesn't want to get it in writing, then they probably weren't going to do it in the first place. And I go really, really deep in landlord law school as to how to vet, you know, contractors and the things that should be in agreements and what uh, you should be looking for with them. But let's take it from a more 10,000 foot level. The Contractor is another business, and so you need to be dealing with them like a business to a business. There has to be set expectations. There has to be set deadlines. There has to be consequences for a breach, and that goes on both sides. I mean, I realize as the investor, the biggest breach we can typically do is not pay them, but assuming that you know your funding is fine, I have very little tolerance and low tolerance, and I think a lot of this is preventable, and I, I realize that there's totally a labor shortage, and I mean, we go through this, it, it feels like you get a good contractor for a few years, and then you know they start doing work for someone else, and then they start getting flaky on your jobs, and you kind of have to start that process over again, but while you're working with them, it, it can get really tempting to do like those gentlemen's agreements where you don't want to put everything in writing. You maybe, you know, are okay with, you know, even doing day laborers. God, there's so much risk around day laborers. I, um, and maybe I'll save that for another co- podcast, but that's really one of those penny wise, uh, pound cheap situations where you're cutting corners at a massive, massive asset protection risk to yourself. And so, Um, day laborers are risky business and it's, um, critical that when you work with those types of laborers or contractors that you really dot your T's and cross your I's so they don't bite you in the butt. Um, because I have seen it come up numerous times where, you know, even after a job is done, you, you have contractors come back and say, oh, I slipped and fell at your property. And oh, surprise, I was an employee. So you actually owe me workers comp. And so you, you may be thinking to yourself, Bonnie, what are you talking about? But I can tell you, I've seen it happen in my practice where investors get sued because things are not in writing. And so that is number four on our list. We've got property damage, vacancies, contractor disputes, evictions. Next, we are going to talk about taxes. And I don't feel like taxes, people do talk about this one a bit, but 
I don't think they talk about it in the terms of this being asset protection. And I believe that asset protection is protecting against any sort of loss, not just catastrophic losses that can wipe you out. And that's why it's critical that you have not only someone who does your taxes at the end of the year, but someone who's also a tax strategist around have um, your long-term vision for your, your company. But also in addition, what you need to be doing as the business owner, unless you you know outsource it, is keeping clean books. You've got to keep clean books among your different LLCs if you have multiple LLCs. And you've got to have a system in place where you're documenting those expenses. You're not muddling, you know, your personal and your business because that's that's how you pierce the, you know, so-called corporate veil. That's what all it takes to unravel those really expensive asset protection strategies that a lot of attorneys put in place. And so, but no one is teaching this stuff. Um, and that's why I have put it as a priority in Landlord Law School to really teach, to make sure that you are running your business appropriately to maintain the asset protection that you've created. And that is of such, such importance. The other thing around taxes, and I feel like this is a little bit of a less sexy thing, but I really like it as as a business owner, is to be able to just see how the business is doing. How healthy is it? I mean, I'm not just talking about the bottom line at the end of the year, but how are we doing on a building per building basis? Because it can sometimes, as you you know start growing your portfolio, get lost that like one of your business, your, your buildings is a dud and it, it's really not you know carrying its weight. Or you know what, we're spending way too much money on X, fill in the blank. And you may notice that it could be vacancies or it could be property management or it could be, you know, lost, repeated uh, security deposits. You'll start seeing that drip, 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 drip if you've got an eye on your books. And that, you know, is more than just looking at, you know, your Home Depot credit card at the end of each month. I mean, you know, getting that stuff in to QuickBooks, which is probably one of the best $29 a month investments you can make for your business because one, it'll make your accountant's life a thousand times easier come the end of the year. But two, you'll be able to start seeing the true financial health of your business as it goes along. Okay, now on to the final and perhaps my favorite hidden asset protection risk, which is generational wealth, asset protection through estate planning. And I feel like this is the big doozy that no one talks about and is by far, I believe, the biggest risk to your assets, your biggest risk to your portfolio. And everyone talks about, oh, yeah, yeah, let's go into real estate investing. I want to make generational wealth, but they don't have a freaking estate plan in place. Guys, can you tell how passionate I am about the estate plan? Because that is what actually conveys the property to the next generation. And if you don't do that, guess what happens? I mean, there could be extra taxable consequences depending on your state. There can be I think the worst case scenario, but what actually often happens is there can be litigation around who gets what. And what happens when people don't agree whether it goes into the court system or not in the, in the means of a lawsuit is that the portfolio gets liquidated. And that is, I think, every real estate investor's worth nightmare. I mean, could you imagine that you've worked this time, you've managed all of these portfolios, you give it to your kids and they just don't know what the hell to do with it. So they end up selling it. And so 
That happens all the time. I mean, if you think about it, we're in this growth stage. We are thinking, you know, bye, bye, bye. Where's, you know, my ideal property avatar like I talk about in episode two? And where is the, um, you know, the next deal going to come from? And we find all these deals. Like, do you ever wonder who's selling this stuff? I mean, it may not always be in a state, but it's people who either they know their kids don't want it, they know their kids can't handle it, or they are selling it after the fact because they've, you know, inherited these buildings from mom and dad and they just, they don't want to be a landlord. And so all of this stuff can be dealt with through estate planning. And I go again at a risk of sounding repetitive, really deep onto what a comprehensive estate plan should include, particularly for real estate investors like us in landlord law school, because that is really how you create generational wealth. I mean, it's not just like talking about it and it's not some like cute little hashtag. Like there are legal steps you need to put in place and sooner rather than later. And that way you can guarantee that there will actually be general generational wealth to inherit. And let me tell you this one thing. It's that it's not only upon your death. You may be tell, thinking to yourself, like I'm 30. Uh, I've got, you know, several decades ahead of me and, you know, God willing, we do, we all do. But one, we don't know. But two, estate planning is also just as critical in the event of your incapacity. And that shit is a lot more likely. Uh, I'm getting real, you know, passionate in this episode. I apologize for the cursing, but I guess sorry, not sorry. I, incapacity is far more likely. And I think that has become a reality that a lot of us have had to face this year with the pandemic that's going on. But it could be a car accident. It could be a planned, uh, a planned surgery that, you know, you'll just be out of the loop for a few weeks. It could be a vacation even, but you need to make sure that if you are not in the position to either physically uh, run your business from a, a medical standpoint or an emotional standpoint, or maybe you're just in another part of the world, you need to have the pieces in place so someone else can. Your business doesn't stop running itself just because you are no longer able to do it. And so that is estate planning. That is my... <laughs> The thing that I could probably rant on and on and on about, and maybe I'll even do a whole uh, episode about that in more in depth, but legally creating generational wealth is something that is a the biggest asset protection risk, I think, out there because we know it's going to happen to all of us. We know it's going to, we are all going to die. There's a hundred percent chance of this happening and you can a hundred percent mitigate that loss with actions that you can take today. So in recap, those six asset protection risks are property damage by tenants, vacancies, evictions, contractor disputes, taxes, and generational wealth, the failure to plan for your estate. And so, end rant, guys. Uh, thanks for bearing with me on this episode. It is, as you can tell, something I'm extremely, extremely passionate about. I have seen investors screw this stuff over and over again because I think their eyes are on the wrong thing. And so if you want to learn more about my approach to asset protection, you can snag module one again at bonniegallum.com forward slash sneak peek. And you can look for episode number 11 dropping tomorrow, which is my second bonus episode in the series about the purchase that we're going through right now. We'll be talking a little bit more about how the contract wrapped up, what due diligence is looking like. And yeah, Looking forward to talking to you guys more tomorrow when that drops. Otherwise, I'll be over in the Good Bones Facebook group. Bye for now. 
If you want to continue the conversation, jump on over to the free Good Bones Real Estate Investing Facebook group. That's it for this episode of the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'll see you here next week, same time, same place. Until then, go out and build the real estate empire of your dreams. Thank you for listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now this lawyer's got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.